What up, fanboys and fangirls? Welcome to another additional Talking Pop with the Franchise and Biko. It's the podcast on all things pop culture. I'm your host, the Franchise, and join me from an undisclosed location somewhere in the Nevada desert, Biko. <laughs> so this is something interesting guys um yeah so yeah Beacon and I are not in the same room if you kind of hear him um, kind of sound kind of weird but it's like yeah he's somewhere in the bottom desert um and today's pretty much our last episode covering the last dance episodes 9 and 10 um honestly it's it was a great documentary for like the last five weeks um and of course you know I just read right now that ESPN wants to still cash in on the last dance Buck, um, they did announce that Wednesday they are going to show Game 6 of the NBA 1998 NBA Finals for the first time ever. I guess they have extra camera angles in HD for the first time. I guess they're going to show it in HD, which is weird, but I guess they're going to show it on Wednesday night. Wait, they're going to show it on HD Wednesday night. The whole game is what? Undisclosed information that they had in the back, like the locker room I guess that I guess they they had more footage from it I guess because I don't know if from the same documentary crew I'm assuming that's where they're gonna get the footage from because like I said the documentary crew followed that team all year so I'm and I guess yeah. NBA Entertainment announced that they're gonna show it in HD and I guess HD at that time was in its dormant stage because they were experimenting with HD I guess the cameras are using it at the time were HD but apparently TV didn't catch up to HD until 2000. When they did the Super Bowl in 2000, it was actually in HD, but TVs didn't convert to HD yet. But HD cameras were in their... I was saying the beginning stages. But I believe, like, Wednesday, they're going to end up showing it. Yeah, well, you, you have the article pulled up? Well, I don't have the article. I just read it, like... Let me see if I can pull it up here. Let me show you real quick. Because I did also wanted to address something, you know, of course, in like the last episode we talked about celebrity deaths, and I just want I just pulled this up from IGN. Um, for those of you who don't know, like comedian Fred Willard passed away this past weekend. Um, he was like 86 years old, and, and as you can see, his career spanned like 50 years. 50 years of acting. Yeah, as you see here, uh, I guess um, he was a Modern Family, and apparently he was able to film a role in Space Force. Which comes out later this year, later this month. I mean, um, and as you can see here, um, Willard's daughter Hope tweeted out the news. To hear from her Twitter account, yeah, he done like yeah, fifty year career. He's done like comedic roles. And he was one of the improv actors. He he actually appeared in This Is Spinal Tap, Waiting for Guffman, Mighty Wind, Best in Show. Um, he was Phil's dad's friend. He was Phil's dad in Modern Family. was was one of his recent roles, and of course, he came out and everybody loves Raymond. He was also in Roseanne. People don't realize he was also in Roseanne as well. And he did like a lot of voiceover work as well. But you no, know, great actor, very funny. It's like I would say he's a great char- character actor. There's like there's many comedians out there who have a careers like um you know character actors. They'll play different roles. So I just want to, uh, you know, touch base on that. Let me see if I can pull up. You're right on your guys. We're trying this. We're doing this thing called Teams. So bear with us. <laughs> Let me see. Last dance game six. Let's see if I can find it here. 
because the one I found is on bolster.com, but it's really just a recap on the last episode. Um, but they show the last dance. Okay, here we go. Here, I just pull up the article. This is from Hyperbeat, Hype Beast. I just pull. It's called Hype Beast. That's what it's called, dude. That's kind of weird name for a website. Yeah, no, yeah. You, they, they, they have like it's like a blog on a bunch of different stuff. It's like what Spin Magazine used to do back in the day until they went all online as opposed to making their uh, physical printing for magazines. But yeah, this, they're calling this. Uh, they're calling this Game Six the movie. So, yeah, I'm going to read this article. It's by Nicholas Lee. Um, like I said, it, was, it says here, according to the article, after the finale of the Last Dance docuseries, ESPN announced the upcoming release of Game 6, the movie. The unprecedented cinematic production is an in-depth look at Game 6 in the 1998 NBA Finals, which saw the Bulls and the Jazz go head-to-head in one of the most iconic games in NBA history. It will be available on ESPN and for streaming the ESPN app. Game 6, the movie, will feature exclusive never-before-seen game footage captured by five different NBA entertainment cameras and presentation of the historic game in new innovative ways. Initially, the live game telecast will be accompanied by the original commentary from Bob Costas, Isaiah Thomas, Doug Collins, Amar Rashad, and Jim Gray. So basically, it's they're going to replay the game, but it's going to have like different angles than what the camera's picked up, basically. Yeah, as you can see here, it's going to be premiering tomorrow, following encore airings of episode nine and episode ten of The Last Dance. How much did they pay to get that? It was on NBC, wasn't it? It was on NBC, but remember the doc NBA Entertainment still like even though NBC owned the broadcast, yeah, they, they it's they have a license. There's a license association with NBA Entertainment. That's like they were like with NFL Films. Uh, Major League yeah. Baseball productions. It's even though the broadcasting, they're considered a broadcasting partner, but technically the league's own footage. Right. And then the the oh, networks have to pay to if they're going to show the game again, they have to pay a, a royalty fee to the NBA. No, I, I don't want to blame them. They're a pretty good documentary company, at least for being sports network. They're good with that stuff, so I'm not surprised. It's just. You're right. It's like you mentioned, it's the cashing in on the on the trend right now, or because obviously, like I don't know if you saw the memes, but after the last two episodes, people are just posting like, "What do we do now? Like, <laughs> I want to go back." And, and and like, obviously, we were fortunate to be alive to see all that go down. So, it, like, I, I like that they're gonna put it on a grand scale for people to see, but I think that connection is still not gonna be there for them because like. For us, we get to see it again as it was played out, but now from a different perspective of camera angles, right? But watching that game in real time was something special, right? So comparing that to, uh, I want to say, what cashing in on it, it's not disingenuous by any means. I'll watch it. I'm going to be a dick and I'm not going to watch it. But it's very strange that uh, they suddenly have this footage that they could have just released years ago. That's what I find funny, but... Think it's, I mean, I'm gonna watch it, but we already know how that plays out. Yeah, I think because I know what like NBC Sports Chicago was showing all the NBA game, but basically with no sports going on, they were showing like the game telecast of the yeah. Bulls playoff run, and they showed the whole Jazz series, which was, which was cool. But it, like I said, it'll be interesting to see how it looks in HD because, like I said, when I read the article, it said like 
they actually were like a, they were experimenting with HD. I think HD was being like experimented at that time before it became available in broadcast form. So they were just testing out with the cameras. So I would say the only people that had access to that footage were you know people that worked at NBA Entertainment, the documentary crew as well. So it'd be cool to see that from different angles, from the different cameras, just to see how the game was looking like. I like the fact that they're going to have like the commentary and everything. So they're basically watching the game over again. Yeah, it'll be on ESPN and the ESPN app, so people will be able to see it after it's airing. So, like, so it'll it'll be available to see. Like, but I think. Now, do you think now? Now, do you think they're gonna put this? Um, well, obviously, they finished the run with the last band, so you think they're gonna finally submit it on Netflix? Um, I don't know how long it'll be until until ESPN holds on to it because, like I said, it was a collaborate. I mean, people outside the U.S. We'll be able to see it on Netflix, so that they'll be able to access it. But it's like us here; it's like ESPN. Technically, I don't know how long ESPN has the rights to keep it on their app before it goes on Netflix. It depends how long the license goes through. This is with these agreements and stuff because it's like same thing with um. If you compare like, you know, with like the CW Netflix had that deal where they get the season like a week or two later after the season has aired. We'll get the episodes of that current season on Netflix like a week or two later. So I don't know how what the agreement between ESPN and Netflix is and the NBA. How long they're going to keep it on the app or they're going to both share it. It depends how long it takes because like I said, um, it is on Netflix outside the U.S. So unless you have like a like a VPN or something on it, um, that's the only way you'll be able to see it. You want to let's um well first before we get to that flu game um of course if you remember like episode like 
Um, now I ended when the Bulls were about to face the Indiana Pacers. I do want to touch on that, you know, Chicago Bulls, Indiana Pacers rivalry because it's kind of similar. To, I would say it's kind of similar to like, yeah, the Bulls had like rivals such as the Knicks. Um, the New York Knicks was one of the biggest rivals in Magic. But no one talks about more of the rivalry between the Bulls and the Indiana Pacers. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I mean, those games were always exciting between the Bulls and the Pacers. Like it's, it, it's like an exciting like series, like exciting you know teams to play against. You know, like Jordan, like and Reggie Miller. You know, they had that great rivalry. Sure. And then of course, you know, it goes where like Reggie talks about when he first faced Jordan was like in like eighty seven, well after he got drafted. And, really? and then he started like calling him like Black Jesus. <laughs> But, like, oh, yeah, because I didn't realize, like, Reggie, yeah, he was drafted in 87, so he came up the same year as Scotty, you know, uh, the same year as Scotty Pippen, so it's like. Yeah, and he was only on the Pacers. He never left, which is nice, because, like, the Pacers are never a terrible team. They just always had pieces, but never. I mean, they obviously were a more complete team by the time they faced the Bulls. Um, but, I mean, to take them to get seven games, and, like, I honestly, they could have had a chance, right, on that good play, so, like, or it was honestly just a good play, so they were that close to rewriting history, um, and I don't think, Rick, and it sucks because Reggie Miller doesn't get talked enough about being an excellent player in those days, and, and maybe it's just because his commentary career kind of uh, has taken more of a, of a peak mm-hmm. um, him and his, and his sister, but like, nobody talks about that, and, and Reggie's done it to two amazing 90s teams, like, he did it to the Poles and he did it to the New York Knicks. When he went, he scored 14 points in like 30 seconds or like less than a minute to win the game and come back and they're down like 14. Like what? You know, it wasn't even a chance. I don't think it was a playoff game. Dude. I don't remember. And now that's when he did the, the, the two-handed like symbol on his on his neck. Like he was choking him. Like he made him choke. Mm-hmm. And he did it towards Spike Lee and shit. That was amazing. That was, it was like the, the craziest thing I've ever seen. And the fact that the Pacers don't get enough recognition for that is, a, I mean, obviously because Chicago ruled the '90s, but Reggie Miller, man, he was a, he was a damn killer. It's just he, he he had like the Kobe thing, you know. Like obviously Kobe had more of a hype coming from high school, but Reggie never left uh, that team throughout its rebuilding years and so on. Um, and I think that's remarkable to see that in a in, a, in an organization, let alone a player who's willing to stay there going through the trials and tribulations of getting to the playoffs and getting that money and getting the championships for the team and the city and all that shit. So, sorry. You're not from Chicago, so it's not going to happen. Oh, God. But that's the thing I wanted them to talk more about as they were building up Reggie Miller because I saw that, um, and not just based on this specific episode, but there were some people commenting on how, like, Steve Kerr got a lot more screen time than people like Ron Harper or, uh, well, they mentioned, um, they, like, they gave more time for him and Reggie Miller, but they didn't, they gave, like, two minutes to Coop Coach, and mm-hmm. they don't talk about the fact that, like, that game, the same game they were at for the, I think it was when they were against the Pacers, he went, he scored, like, 30 points on 16 of 18 shooting. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, he had incredible stat lines, but all they cared about that game was, like, Steve Kerr's 11 points for seven shooting 
like it's it's very oddly strange that they focus too hard on that one Kukoc wasn't like Kukoc is having an excellent year with Scotty being hurt and stuff like that so it, it's just very I, I I don't know if that was just on purpose based on what they wanted to envision in the documentary but it's, it's stupid like I yeah, because I yeah I did notice that you like with Steve Kerr getting some airtime, but I think if you think about Steve Kerr, like then I, like I didn't know for a fact that his yeah, because I know he didn't like I didn't know like when we talked about how his dad his dad as well got murdered too. His dad was like a college professor, and then he found out yeah he found like his dad like he was what like Kerr found the same thing like he, like Steve Kerr was like he was drafted by Phoenix he was drafted by the Phoenix Suns and then. He went to yeah, Cleveland. He went to, uh, he went to the University of Arizona on scholarship, and then finds out when he's in college that his dad got murdered as well. It's like yeah. I can see why he got more scared because he kind of like kind of like relates to what Michael went through as well. But to him, like experience that when he's barely in, he's in college versus when Michael, after you know winning the first three championships, then finding out that his dad got murdered, like at, when he's like a pro, it's. I can see there's somewhat of a similarity between Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan Kerns. Like, I think, and also too when you know the the earlier episodes, you know, when Jordan being up on his teammates during practice. But I think with um after you know after with Steve Kerr standing up to Michael, I think Michael and Steve Kerr had a really good professional working relationship after that. Yeah, which I mean, that's, that's probably why they started around that, and they provide him so much time to like. I mean, they dove into his, his, I guess you could say, his background. So, but like out of all the players, they didn't really. I mean, I understand why they did with Steve Kerr too, because he he won the championships with the other teams, and I'm sure like he was pretty easy to accept, like to get access to, because he's still relevant in the NBA. I I I don't think. I mean, I think they took. Yeah, because I think they also try, try to talk. I, I think they try to reach out to Luke Longley as well. And of course, Luke Longley being in Australia, I think he didn't want to talk as much about it because there was an I forgot what article it was. They the document like the director tried to reach out to him, but he tried to reach out to everybody. So it's up to like, yeah, like even though Jordan was the head of documentary, they still had to try to reach out to these guys. It depends if they wanted to talk about it. I mean, come on, I got Scott Morrell to come in as well because he's getting a little bit of bull. <laughs> but I mean. <laughs> well, like even he got more screen time than Kukoc. <laughs> like it's just very strange. <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah. I mean, yeah. That's like I said. They try their best to talk to as much as everybody they can. I mean, if we, yeah, it would be nice to see more like Tony's like screen time as well. But yeah, I, like, just because like he has such an interesting history too. And I'm not taking away anything away from Steve Kerr. It's just like, that guy was a beast in the EuroLeague. They called him the White Magic for a reason. And then he plays in the Olympics against probably the best basketball team ever assembled. And then you have all of that happening during a civil war. And they basically get in the name. And then he delayed his own career. Until he was able to go into the Bulls organization because of Jerry Krause, only after the war had stopped. Like nobody talks about like how much of, like what like I want I wanted I would want to dive into like the mentality he had to hold or the mindset he had to hold, knowing that he had to stay in, in his in his country to 
family while having such a blossoming career, you know, in, in, in basketball. And it's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna have a great opportunity to go into, like, the NBA, the big leagues, right? Like, not saying you're only basketball in the big leagues, but in those times, they saw it as softball, I want to say, right? It's yeah. like how, for you, like, wrestling, w, uh, WWF is, like, it's like the big league, but there's uh, other leagues around the nation that are more regionally based, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have the, the best financial backing, but they have a community and a fan base that's there. So, yeah. like, when you see him going, having to balance that mentality of of kind of not putting a career off just yet, because he had a great career in the NBA too, but, oh man, to also deal with stuff that has nothing to do with you, it's just like, it's crazy, and the fact that we focused on, like, and all that thing, Steve Kerr's thing was interesting too, because his dad's history was really cool, like, a Middle East, a Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern Studies doctorate professor, like, goes and takes a job in Beirut as the president of their, uh, oh, I think it's like their, their education. I can't remember what it was at that school. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, 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 I can see that they had to show, like, the, the what, what Steve and Michael had on a deeper level as far as fathers. Yeah, cause it, it, because it set up, you okay. know, where, like, you know how they went back and forth, like, when the, of course, at the beginning of, you know, covering the Pacers, they go back to, the Jordan flu game eventually leading the game six, and of course they talk about the only one seeker who made that shot. Um, that's I think that's probably why they had more footage of that because I think Steve had more of a story to tell about that going into that shot. But like going back to the flu game, you know that was interesting too because you know at that time, like I said, the internet was still basic at that time. Not many people had access to it because it was mostly used for like business and stuff. Correspond. And then the only thing he watched was the pregame stuff, and they said, oh, Jordan was sick. They kept saying it was like a flu. But it, based on what Jordan said was, and based on, you know, his best friend George saying that they felt his food poisoning. And even when he brought up that, you know, of all the places they were all, clo- they were all closed in Utah at that time, only one place was open was a pizza place. So even he brought the suspicion, you know, you know Jordan had his security detail, but at the same time, he's like, why do you need five guys to deliver one pizza? And knowing the fact that you're in, uh, I, I'm not dissing, you know, local establishments, but God, guys, I understand, like, you're loyal to your team, but, yeah, going as far as the food poisoning, the greatest basketball player of all time, like, you really want to sound to that low? To me, that's, like, bringing more motivation because it's, like, and you saw Jordan proved it, you know, yeah, he started off sluggish in that game, five and nineteen and seven against the Jazz, but after that, he just woke up and scored 38 points. And he finished the whole game. He played that whole game. And basically, like, when the cameras were on him, every time they called timeout, he was like, he had a towel over his head. He was drinking lots and lots of Gatorade just to stay hydrated. But at the same time, Utah, he was exhausted. He wasn't there, but he played his ass off. But it's like, things like that. Like, we didn't know about that, that he got it from, you know, we don't know what they put in that food. But it's like, at the same time, it's like, they did a great job protecting, there's a pizza place, so it's like, at least, you know, they protected whoever owned that pizza place, and I bet you, whoever owned it probably, you know, admonished uh, the employees after that. Dang. But as it gets to that point, like, say, it's like, it's the same thing, like, say, it's, it, it, there's the same comparison for, like, wrestling as well, because, you know, when wrestlers, you know, back in the day, when they travel from town to town, 
if they're the bad guy, you know, they have that unreal role like kayfabe, you know, you have to portray your character. And people are going to see you, like, not as the real person, but they'll see you as your character. So, yeah, they probably got treated differently as well. Yeah, I mean... I, it, it, like I said, to me, that was the more interesting part. Is like, you know, Jordan was hungry, you know, and it was late. But it's like, to find out that that's what the reason he got sick, it's like, wow. It's like... So fucked. That's so messed up because it's like... Right? experience that as well it's Sleep not really a good day. feeling When George said that, yeah, when George said that, they're like... They could have pissed on it, they could have done a bunch of shit. I mean, you're talking about Utah, right? The second time that they're going into the finals with, with Chicago, and they want to be the first team that's been, to be like, nope, they're not going to win this time. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? You've got to do play molecular warfare with them. Although, be it if that's, obviously Utah's never going to own up to it, but I'm not going to... God, dude, like, what do they say? All is fair in love and war, right? Yeah. And, like, just when it comes to basketball, it doesn't take an exception. Holy shit. I've been pissed, man. Because, like, I'm sure he was hungry as fuck. He just wanted some pizza. And what happened? Some dude, like, pissed on it or something to get him sick. You think I spit on it? Like, you, you gotta imagine, like, they could have poisoned him with some weird shit, man. I don't know. Either way. course you know after that he go on to game six to chicago and that's when you know and then of course it, it touched base with the steve kerr and of course we hear the story about his dad and and how he got who's similar to michael and they decided you know to work on a play and then i like for the fact that john paxson kind of it goes to john paxson when john paxson was retiring and at least he got to play one season with like steve Kerr got to play with one season with john paxson when steve kerr was traded from cleveland to chicago after the after the bulls 93 season and Pax said they played one more year before retiring, but he was able to take, like, Steve Kerr in his wing. And, you know, because, you know, Jordan had John Paxson as, like, his kind of almost, like, besides Pippen, like, Jordan had, like, John Paxson in that first, like, Bulls dynasty run um, when it came to, like, those, like, clutch shots. And then it's the same thing because John Paxson, you know, he played so many years with Michael. So, you know, how Michael's quirks were. So, for 
you know, Steve Kerr coming in in 93-94 season, the first season without Michael, and coming in, John Paxson pretty much took him under his wing, and then, of course, when Jordan came back in 95, you know, it, that team had to find a way to work with him again, you know? But it was, like, different faces that time. It's like Jordan had, had to get used to, like, new teammates he never got to play with before. But, like like I said, and then, of course, you know, Jordan, like, Jordan had his scuffles in practice with his teammates, and of course, you know, he and Kerr ended up, you know, developing a good working relationship to the point where it led to that game six when the Bulls were and were able to score. They were tied, and they were able to come, and you know, Jordan was able to throw that shot to uh, Steve Kerr, mm. and Steve Kerr became the hero. Yeah. <laughs> he became the new W. Uh, what do you say? Because like John Paxson says, he he. he after a few years in the league, he kind of figured out that he knew his role, that he was going to be a role player. And so it was nice that it resonated the same way with Steve Kerr, how he felt like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I already knew even through college and playing in the NBA in the first year, it was like, I was good, I was on the points, but like, I, I knew right away that I was going to be a role player here. That was, that was going to be like my purpose on a team, right, on an organization, which is, is what you would want in a team. Kind of understanding where their strengths are and shit, but it's kind of sad to see that it's like, oh man, you should have a little more confidence in your game. You're in the NBA, you're there for a reason. But I can see why the hesitation is there too, because people suck. Um, I don't know. But I, I, you see, even John Paxson got more screen time than Crew Coach, and then and he should have gotten a little more screen time too, because he was the what, two championship teams? Right? Who? Or was he with three? No, Paxson was only there for the first three people. Because, no, but think about it. Paxson was there in 85. So, Paxson was there the year after Michael. So, he was one of Michael's long-time, long-time running mates. So, yeah, because Paxson played from 85 to, like, 94. So he was there during one to the young Jordan years. So he was there throughout the the three the three P and everything. Yeah. And of course he became an assistant coach under Phil when you know, when like he retired and um he was an assistant under uh, Phil Jackson. No, yeah, he was there when uh when college was still coaching. Yeah, he was there with all the the coaches in that time, and then of course you know going back to now back to the Pacers series, which it was a hard fought conference finals and of course the big thing that everyone was talking about after this episode was that screaming Pacers fan the what? that lady the one that they kept showing the cameras on that she was like screaming and stuff and it's like to the point that he started making her into a meme already it's like uh. ah <laughs> the same lady she looked like she was yeah, and I think uh, people started, like, they took the screenshots and started using it as a meme on Twitter and stuff. <laughs> Already? Yeah. See, what? Oh, yeah. I see on Twitter. I kind of, like, I'll see stuff that's omitted from Twitter, but no way. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny, but, yeah, those clutch games are Reggie Miller. Like, I'm not discrediting Reggie Miller, so he was... And he's, to me, he's one of the great basketball players as well, up there in the same level as Michael. But it sucks that he never got to win a championship. Yeah, he's like him and Charles Barkley. Or the him, Carmelo, John Stockton, you know. Oh, not Carmelo. Patrick, Patrick right. Ewing, you know, players like that in the oh, 90s. I mean, we had, those guys were like, you know, they Clyde were. Drexler. 
Although, wait, did Drexler get one with the Rockets? What's up? I got one with the Rockets. No, Barkley never got one with the Rockets. Clyde, no. No, uh, Drexler and Olajuwon. Yeah, yeah. Drexler, remember, Drexler came from Portland. He got, I think he got traded in that season to um, Houston in 93. Uh, like 80, what did they win in? Like 80, uh, Houston won it in 94, 95. 94-95, Because remember, Jordan was gone from 93-94. The Wolves were eliminated at that time by the Knicks, and that you know led to that infamous you know game where Scotty left, or Scotty sat at the bench. And of course, in '95, the Bulls got eliminated, and then the Bulls got eliminated in the second round, '95, to the Milwaukee Magic. They got ended up like getting pretty much cream in that series. So that's why it ended up being you know the Rockets end up you know winning those two, and that's that's sad because not many people talk about the the Rockets championship teams. Of those two years back to back, but it's like I said, the Bulls were the team of the '90s, and I people still see them as the team of the decade of that time. Um, and then now going to the Pacers, and it ends up like they end up going back and forth. You know, Bulls were up like two games to one, two games to nothing, and then they go to Indiana, Market Square Arena. To me, it's like one of the nicest arenas I saw. It's kind of weird seeing that arena because it's like on top of a bridge. <laughs> And they had to like drive up a ramp just to get into that thing. It's like kind of interesting. Um, before the the the, the field house was built, um, and then we had I think one time when, you know back as kids, um, we ended up going on a trip to Indianapolis. We actually got to see the arena while it was still up. But um, yeah, going there, they went to hostile territory, and those games were yeah, the Bulls were doing well, but the like that stadium was loud, and of course you know Reggie Miller, they had the great team. You had Jalen Rose, you had. Mark Jackson, Ricky Smith, you got Chris Mullen, Joe Reggie, and, and, and Davis Brothers, Anthony Davis, yeah. Um, and then, of course, you had Larry Bird in his first year coaching. Yeah, Jesus Christ, and he's going to go against <laughs> the guy he's been going against for years, but as a coach. So but, fuck. Yeah, so I do want to bring up, I guess, um, because it it's like, if you think about it, this is always the second game seven, like this series, um, Put the Bulls like to. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the article I found on ESPN. Um, right. Yeah, let me see. I guess I'm skimming this one from Vulture. Yeah, so let me show you this one. See which one you brought up. This is the one I got. This is from ESPN. Um, this one says the title of the thing says the scariest game we ever faced the Bulls to reflect on uh, their toughest game seven. It kind of like it. It's just written by Zach Lowe, and pretty much the the one thing is, and if you look at these quotes that um going into Game Seven with the Pacers were from their point of view, it pretty much you see this quote from Bird. Like it says here, Bird scanned the rooms that forget the X's and O's. Let's you know, he's like, let's go out there and kick some ass. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I like how they because Bird was like the Game six of the, I guess the Jazz, yeah, but just seeing that, and then, um, then it talks about you know, you know, it just goes through it because the last time the Bulls were in that game seven situation was in the second round against the Knicks in '92, and the Bulls ended up winning by twenty nine points. Yeah, 
But I would say the Pacers had the Bulls on the brink of elimination. It's like, do you want Michael Jordan's career? Like, we, like I said, at that time, Phil was going to come back. We don't know if Phil was going to come back, you know, because thanks to Jerry Krause, said, oh, Phil Jackson's going to come back. And then, you know, Scotty would, you know, he wants more money. And, of course, most of those players were become free agents. And then Jordan was mulling. It's like that motivation for, like, MJ was like, you know, I don't want to end my career, you know, after this game seven. You know, I want to keep going. And then it goes right here. It talks about after game six. This is what Bill Wellington said. It said, I wouldn't say we were afraid, but we knew they understood us. And I like how he had the confidence, like, like it's Reggie, where, like, they, it's just, like, no matter what, he always felt like it doesn't matter, we're still going to win. Like, he was always confident, even being down, like, 14 points. Like, Jordan always, it's like Jordan, like, every time you try going against Michael, like, you try to do something, like, he has that motivation, yeah, that is. drive. You can't count it out until, you can honestly can't count it out until the clock is zero. No. <laughs> like, uh, um. And look at this. This is the quote. This is what, what Kerr recalls. As it says here, at the practice day before Game 7, Phil Jackson counseled his players to find strength and vulnerability. This is what he said. He's, this is what Kerr said. He said, the important thing is not to fear losing. Embrace the idea that you can lose face, face that, but before we can... And then Jordan said, and this is what Michael says, like, he said, F that, we're not losing. We'll put our hands in the middle and it said, one, two, three, bulls, and went home. Like, Jordan basically said, no, we're not going to lose. And you think about it, and it kind of like the fact that she'll like that, the press conference was at the game six, and Jordan said, like, we will win game seven. I'm not, he's like, I'm not sure he could anything. We will win game seven. And he took that inspiration from when, you know, Joe Namath said that we're, the, the Jets were going to win Super Bowl three. And ultimately, what? They won Super Bowl three. Unless you have a different, I, I, unless you have a different article, uh, that's something I just wanted to show you. Unless you got something to share from that point of view. Well, no, like I, I do because on the vulture one. Um, here, you want to pull it up here? Let me. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Hold on. Let me uh, just so let like, me just get it out of my end if you want to go. Ahead. Okay. I think I got cut off. Sorry, guys. But yeah, if you want to go ahead and present you your end. Now we're good. Right. Can you see all this? What am I showing you? Uh. Don't see, uh, I just see, here, see, oh, there you go. Is it working? Yeah, I can see it now. Sorry, guys, we're, okay. we're experimenting a team, we're saying technical difficulties yeah. with the team, so, so bear with us. So, what I was reading is, like, how this, this, uh, the writer of this article, they're kind of touching on, like, not, I guess at those last moments, uh, with Jordan kind of, at least on his personal, the perspective that the documentary was giving, and it, like it says, um, he, first uh, part right here, it's like, there's only so many of these both because they're really not a part of the, the story that Michael Jordan wants to tell, in the sense that, like, so, like, the vulnerable moments we got, like, such as him crying when they won against Seattle, and, like, he let it all out, that was, like, during the year his father got murdered, so, like, Oh, like the first championship won after yeah. you know after like so after like three years after his dad was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing he touched upon is like we're, we get these you know crazy moments in his life, but then we also get like see that is one of about the 
time that someone said, or maybe just thought that Jordan wouldn't be able to do something, or how he said, okay, that's your opinion, and then went out and did it, right? So mm-hmm. he, always, he always kind of put the me versus them type of thing on everything he did. So what we get in perspective is, like, even during tough moments with the murder or him uh, going through the struggles of losing in the first year of the Bulls, uh, you see that they say, like, story of his life and many moments in the last day that's when they seem plainly tragic moments in, in, Jordan, in which Jordan's life seems pretty empty and cold and joyless it's not at all clear that Jordan even sees it that way so like they they like he wanted to win and he won now he gets to tell all those stories again and he wants them told so that they prove the points and deliver the lessons that he wants them to prove and deliver Jordan has lived his life in the battle of wills against the whole world scripting everyone and everything he encountered in his long war against the world or against the word no and anyone he thought might take from him what he'd want he would be, it would be foolish to expect him to surrender creative control now which is true right like, mm-hmm. we were talking about this like how he since he had the final the final say on all that like the executive decision with, their, with the final draft of the documentary like it's kind of it's fucked to see that because he also mentions in the article how the balance like the balance could have been better with actually showing NBA game like uh, more basketball footage mm-hmm. they don't really show enough of that it's more or less him you know we, we go through the cycle of him being told no on certain things like you know or like oh he's not gonna be even from, even from the high school he's in a team and all that so like we get the cycle in documentaries where he faces an obstacle with whether it's a player Mm-hmm. Team, organization, or the media, we show him kind of finding his own way to still be himself, which I think is just in his spirit, and then like doing it in his own way, like how we get the Olympics, like with the American flag over it, a symbol, and he was still pretty loyal. So like everything he did, it, it didn't seem like the agenda ever changed. It was always just like the competitiveness always came out. But then here, like I read. Jordan can do things as a basketball player that no other person has ever been able to do and achieve a degree of kind of fame that no athlete ever really had. He has made a lot of money for himself and many, and for many other people along the way. And the last dance, once again, puts him in the center of a world that's otherwise suspected in the queasing, unsettled pond. The response has been more or less what you might expect. So I wanted to touch on like the, re- the reception of the, of the documentary series as a whole, and he goes, um, however... Some people are arguing that Jordan was a bully and therefore bad, or that Jordan was a bully and therefore strong and good. Many other people genuinely reflecting on the principle. Uh, and then there's that bit with Jalen Rose filling in airtime on ESPN by arguing that Jordan would average 47.5 points a game in the NBA today. Uh, I mean, that I would say I wouldn't think he will score that many points with the base on the way the NBA is now comparing to back then. I mean, comparing the NBA back then was more hard hitting, refs were more lax when it came to fouls. But here, like the NBA now, it's like any little thing you you start with a foul. You know, it's like it wasn't as no, 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 because well, yes, I agree, but because the NBA now is a shooting game, it's It's more of a shooting game, not more of like a. Players who can play 
in the, the one spot or the four spot who are like, like we'll say for like example um, the Greek freak uh, Giannis um, at the court ball. Like he is, he can play honestly any position on that court. He's like Kevin Durant, but like Jack. He's he's like basically seven, almost seven foot. His wingspan's like seven five. He's a bad uh, dunker. He can play the the point forward. He's you know, like he has the same kind of build as like a Scotty or or Kukoc, but just his genetics are insanely big. And him and his brother, his brother just got in the league too, and they're on the same. I think they're on the same team. So Minnesota or uh, Milwaukee is looking insane. Um, but to say that he would score, like you mentioned, forty five, forty seven point five points. Huh? Where are they getting this number from? Like, are they would he would average that? You're talking about like, and there wasn't a lot of super teams. Either that's not the point. Like, who's to say he was going to still be on the bowl, right? Like, yeah. It, it, this is all very hypothetical. But that yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, they did the thing where you know, was it like NBA two K something? Oh, I forgot what year it was. It two K twelve, I think, is when they when Jordan finally allowed his likeness and stuff to be in that game, and they actually gave you an opportunity to draft Jordan on any team and. Got to play as him, but going against like the teams of today at that time, it kind of like I played NBA QK. Was it ten? I believe I think it was 2K ten. I think when Jordan was, you know, he allowed, you know, he allowed us because people don't realize when it comes to like intellectual property, Jordan protects his intellectual property pretty well of any athlete that I've ever seen, Um, because for him to appear in a 2k game was like a big thing because people will just create players look like him but it's like to actually have him there and what's cool about it, it gave you a glimpse of how to play but also give you a glimpse like how will michael play in that league at that time and you know i played a season as mj and i tried my best i think the most average i ever able to score with jordan at that time was like I would say not up to like 47 but somewhere between like 32 points because you know you got to think just, you know, to play that style, it's like, yeah, but at the same time, it's like, I was able to average 32.5 points playing as Jordan in that video game, but you talk about video game, but it's like, it kind of gave me more of an idea how he would play in that league at that time. But, yeah, I, I don't know, I think Jalen Rose saying this is like, he's trying to up-hype him, but it's like, you got to look at the realism when it comes to like, you know... Now with the whole technology about they can like with the whole thing about instant replay, you know, and NBA at the time they didn't have instant replay, but now with the NBA not having instant replay, when it comes to certain files and oh, stuff, man. yeah, and there's so much data that goes into the game now, and so many analytics. And, I mean, you're talking about organizations spending a lot of money on training and analyzing like how players' physical physicality can be managed in mm-hmm. a certain way, like even with the equipment that they use, like everything's. Everything's so high tech now, and I think that the sinking of technology into like sports, into the sports world, is insane. Because now they can really measure up, and you can really, uh, you can, you, you're scouting other teams would be insane. So I don't, like, cause it's a high number to put. I'm not saying Jordan wouldn't be capable of doing it, but like you mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a whole different type of game now. You got faster players, bigger guys, like. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not doing cocaine like they did in the 80s, but some of those guys really use their money, they really abuse their money to invest in their health, mm-hmm. which is important. 
especially when you're an athlete. Um, playing a game like basketball, it's just terrible on your joints as you get older. Uh, your knees. Your knees are like the first thing to go out because you're constantly jumping and running. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Using your like fast twitch muscles. So it's like a lot of like high intensity intervals. Interval like activity that you're doing in basketball and, and like soccer and stuff. But you have to be conditioned to that. So if Jordan kept that thing with about him, even at a different age, like maybe. Um, and it's kind of like, it could kind of segue to what the, the documentary did a good job towards the end is saying, asking the question of whether they, if Phil Jackson stayed and the whole band stayed and got together. Yeah, like I do want to talk about that. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll talk. I mean, what's your final thoughts on episode nine of the last dance before we dive into like episode ten? Before we take a break. Um, I thought it was it was excellent. I think it was good to show more or less how the because that was that was the closing on the Seattle thing, right? And then they touched on curse stuff, and then no, that was the closing on the Indiana Pacers series, which I did like for the fact they touched a lot based on that. Oh yeah, that was a. I don't. Know, that was an episode. I think was an episode nine. Talks about that one guy. Yeah, that one security person that you know pretty much became like a father figure to Michael when when he helped Michael during that tough time when he lost his dad and then how his like his security detail, like his head of security, you know, he was fighting cancer and Jordan did. Michael did everything he can. He kept checking on him and everything. He went to his chemotherapies and stuff. It's like. You know, he cared about that that individual, and even his like the security guys, like a widow, like talk how Michael was a part of his life, and how even in the middle of the night when MJ wasn't feeling well, that the guy actually went over there and checked on them and everything. It's like, it's like people think, oh, because, but you gotta think, you know, this Jordan's a country boy from North Carolina coming into Chicago. You know, it's like the city and stuff, and. And it was good that he was always surrounding himself with people that were able to care about him a lot and, you know, was there to look out for him. Yeah, but that guy, you know, that security guy, like, he went above and beyond, you know, his job to make sure, you know, he'd be coming up, like I said, like a father figure when Jordan was going to that tough time losing his dad. He was there for him. But... That's one thing that episode that kind of ended with that, you know, and I thought that was a good episode. Like I said, it touched base on the Pacers series, which to me, it's, you know, one of the biggest series. And of course, now with that going forward, you know, everyone expecting, oh, episode 10 is probably going to talk about the whole jazz series. And of course, you know, what pretty much people were wondering what they're like, what the, you know, Jordan's thoughts after that series and going, you know, after that, after winning the sixth championship and, and their thoughts going forward. So um, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break um, so you guys can take advantage of listening to this ad. We'll be right back with our thoughts on episode 10 and basically the whole documentary in general. So don't go away. Hey, it's the franchise from Talking Pop with the franchise and Pico. Just letting you know, we have a storefront. It's teespring.com slash Talking Pop. We got 
shirts. We got tank tops for men, women, kids. We also got hoodies and sweatshirts. Um, we actually have coffee mugs, and we have an iPhone case and a Samsung case with the Popsternot logo on there. Also, we have stickers, so you can put on your locker, on your laptop, whatever you want to put those stickers on there. So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash TalkingPop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TalkPop and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care. Alrighty, now we're back. Um, we're back on. You know, this is our final episode covering the last dance. Um, we touched base on episode nine. Now we're gonna talk about episode ten, and of course the reactions to you know pretty much the whole documentary, and also the details that that left. I would say this episode to me was the hard hitting one because it kind of pretty much opened everybody's mind because you know this is cool Bulls knock off the Pacers and game and the top one of the toughest game sevens. That, you know, I was able to witness to see. Because I didn't see... I don't think I remember seeing too much of the 92 one against the Knicks in their semifinals. I know our dad probably did, but... They're coming off, you know, that Game 7 in Chicago. You know, just, you know, them playing... Like, the the Bulls benched up, up in that game and they were able to overcome the Pacers. Winning at home and then going on two days... Not even, like, two days of rest because they had to fly out to Utah. To get ready because, you know, Jazz, you know, they pretty much knocked off their opponent. And we're just waiting for, like, the Bulls to get there. So, of course, you know, the Bulls end up, like, um, losing Game 1 of the 98 Finals. And then, of course, they end up coming back in Game 2. So, they end up going back to, like, the that series being tied 1-1. And of course, um, Game 3. Look, I, I noticed one with this episode. They kept speeding through the Finals. They always show a few of the highlights. I wish they should have shown more. And uh, when they went to game three, they had that blowout game where pretty much they ended up like finishing like um game three they ended up blowing out the jazz at that time. And then I think game four they got really close. But the Bulls were able to pull it off. And then it was they and it's funny because they went to that same situation um when they had the back in like in the 93 series against Phoenix where they were up three games to one. They were, they were about to. They could have like closed it down. Chicago, and of course, they fell asleep again. And then I was going back, going back to that game five of the '98 Finals. Like, you know, I kind of remember a little vividly. We were watching that game, and you know, we were all hoping you know they were going to end it that night. And of course, the only one that kept trying to keep us alive was Tony Kukoc. He stepped up in that game. But you know the Bulls couldn't 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 could have clinched there, so back to Utah again. And of course, you know, let you Michael Pye had that same mentality that hey, we gotta end the series. No, yeah, I mean like it's one of those things to where um, like we well, like we said, um, they're clutching upon like two specific games in his career where he he you know. They didn't say he was scared, obviously, because he wasn't. But he was nervous, right? Like, yeah. He was really nervous. Especially someone who's super competitive like that. Um, I play with people who are uber competitive, and they they get mad. They get mad losing at checkers. So like, <laughs> and as we see throughout the documentary, we see the competitiveness getting built around him, like him playing games with the security guard, right? So it's like he. He never really let up that he was nervous about losing. It was just you can see it on his face. And with this one, he always, you know, like, or like previous episodes, 
in the older playoff series where he's like, I'm not, I'm only taking one suit, like that kind of deal. So I'm thinking, yeah, he had the same thing too, and plus, you know, being, you know, this is ultimately end up being the final game when he played for the, the final team when like, this Bulls team was together. You know, going to Game Six, you know, yeah, the atmosphere in, in the Delta Center was, you know, loud. I mean, if you think about everything that's loud when it comes to like Utah Jazz games, and you know, and uh, going to that, and then Scotty, you know, being hurt in that game, you know, he ended up playing a few minutes in the first half, and then all of a sudden his back started like hurting him a lot. But, you know, Scotty, I would say, I think at that time he didn't want to be, you know, to me, I think he ended up like the trainer ended up going and checking on him and everything. And the trainer was working on trying to find ways to get Scotty back into the game. Because, you know, I think Scotty was trying to wave off the memories of, you know, the migraine game against Detroit in the early, like, in the late 80s. And, of course, you know, like that game against well, the back, back Yeah. And then, of course, you know, that game, you know, where he, um, he just set out against the Knicks in that playoffs in 94. So it was like, and yeah, I had to get up to, like, no way talk about Scotty's you know, intensity, like his, his toughness to try to get back on there. And you saw in the footage, you know, the way he was moving and stuff, he was moving so stiff, like he wasn't running at the same pace as everybody else. And he tried to play his heart out to try to play that game. And I, I kind of, Upset that they don't talk about that. Oh, they go talk about Michael's like you know stomach ache game, but they don't talk about Game Six where you know Scotty had the back issues and he was able to come back and you know try to finish the game with that back with that back injury. Because I know you're a big Pippen fan, so I don't know what your thoughts on that. Um, I was it risky putting him back in after that? Like he was obviously ready to go, but um, it was nice. Same time, we all do, right? Oh my god, I don't know. 
I it just I, I still got respect for him because he still won those champions. Like he was still a good player regardless. Mm-hmm. And as weird as it sounds, that like he he had a whole be the glue for the team during the Jordan baseball shit. Like it was kind of nice that we saw him as his own individual talent and not necessarily like oh you know he can't do it on Jordan. Like well no that's not true. He almost made it to the finals again. And like I said, that game six, you know, I mean, you had to stay up late for that game, too, because it was like, you know, it was Utah time. So it was like, you know, pretty much um, it was like interesting for the fact like that game was like freaking crazy as hell. Um, I do want to pull up because I think what article was it? Let me see if I can pull it up right now. Um, because this is one article that talks about the game six and the last like seconds of that time. Then there was a comment on it. Let's see if I can pull it up here. Because like it was back and forth. That game six was going back and forth. Yo, Jazz were up, but um, here somebody like um they broke like Kirk Goldsberry. This is a reaction like a comments on on this article from the NBA Insiders. Um, pretty much um, how would the last dance change the way we think about this is on ESPN. Um, and pretty much uh, Kirk Goldsberry, like he's one of the NBA insiders, and he's describing, you know, the final 60 seconds um, going into that, you know, into that game. Um, even if you want, <laughs> we'll, we'll, there's a video clip of the last shot. We'll talk about that as well. But I just wanted to see, like, you know, during those final 60 seconds, during had that uniform, he ended up scoring six points. In those final sixty seconds, and those were all like MJ plays. You know, it was all plays that he set up. So, and he talks about the breakdown here. So I'm gonna read the breakdown of each one. It's like, and he talks about like play one was like pretty much the Jazz were up like forty two by like three points with forty two seconds left. Pretty much MJ pretty much stepped up and said, you're playing number one. Chicago calls him out. On the broadcast, Doug Collins says that the Bulls desperately need a two-for-one to stay in the game. Jordan catches an inbounds pass on the Jazz decal. All eyes are him. No one expects from the pass. Doesn't matter. He just races past Byron Russell for to the rack for a quick two. That brings the Bulls within one point. And that kind of cool. I think about that episode. They talk about you know, Brian Russell wanting to guard MJ. <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. I like and it's all, and it goes back to when Jordan scored that buzzer beater in game one of the 97 finals over Brian Russell. And it's kind of funny. Even Carmelo talked about him a little bit. And Stockton, it wasn't, not, wasn't Carmelo? No, it was John Stockton during the reeling. And he talked about Brian Russell. Yeah, I think it was Stockton. Yeah, I think they got Stockton in an interview. Yeah, I think they got Stockton in an interview as well. And then, of course, they talk about the whole. In 98, like, Rodman's escapades, him and Malone got thrown into the WCW that time. You know, WCW was struggling in that ratings in that time. They were in that ratings where WWE decided, you know what? This is, they wanted to capitalize on the whole Bulls and Jazz rivalry by having, you know, Rodman have a rivalry with Carmelo because they were battling each other and having Rodman be the NWO at that time and, you know... Carmelo coming in, I think they ended up going to the point. I think it was after the '98, but they did first. They did like promo shots first, like they came on Jay Leno and stuff. Hogan, Hulk, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and Robin. You know, Robin was representing the NWO, and then um, they had Diamond Dallas Page, you know, with Carmelo at that time. 
and they had their Dark Trainer bars on late night, bringing like the sense of like entertainment to the series as well. I saw they show a little bit of it, but of course, you know, I think WWE Network has a documentary called Untold, and they have they covered the whole Rodman and WCW thing that was going on at that time in '98. Um, but it's kind of funny how in the, this last dance they were able to pull some of that footage, but they didn't pull a lot of footage, but just to show, you know, Rodman's antics outside, you know, that time, you know. Entertainment world was to take advantage of that series as well because it was like one of the wa- second most watched um, series when it comes to the NBA. Because uh, of that, yeah. And then um, going to that, and of course, um, play number two, the Jazz tried to kill the clock before posting up Carmelo in the left block. Everyone knows it's coming, especially Jordan. And then, of course, Jordan does one of the cleanest steals, one of the cleanest steals I've ever seen. Like, basically, going behind, like, Malone had ramen on him, didn't expect MJ to come around, just basically slap the ball out of his hand. And pretty much, MJ held onto that ball. And then it's, it's funny, then it goes to, like, Kerr and all of them saying, hey, let's get out of MJ's way, basically. Like, he's going to take the shot. <laughs> like, they all had a feeling that Michael was going to take the shot, they were just going to stay out of the way. Even Robin was like, yeah, we're going to stay out of the way, you know. And then, of course, they talk, describes like play number three, that Jordan the Bulls don't count timeout because they had Jordan. And Jay never lets go of the ball before he goes and buries the world-famous series clinch of Russell, which I do. I think they do have a footage on here. Let's see. I can pull it up a little bit. Let me take the audio off. There you go. That way you can see the shot. Let's see here. I can pull it up here to have the article. Here we go. I can pull up the shot. Let's see. That way you can see as well. Hopefully, it is buffering. But yeah, I think going from that point, while this is still buffering, like, you know, I bet we were jumping up and down. Of course, our dad was sleeping because he had to work the next day. But as soon as we saw that Jordan had the ball, we were like, oh, like jumping for joy and stuff. Because us, you know, watching Jordan through, through those years, um, just, you know, thinking, okay, he has the ball. He has to think of something. Yeah. Because based on, you know, Jordan's history, Jordan's history, you know, when it comes to shots. So let's see. It's trying to buffer and shit. Okay, here we go. You see, he shows that layup. There you go. That one layup he does within one point. <laughs> Basically took that ball all the way down. Yeah, this thing's still buffering, but there we go. You see, <laughs> it shows the shots of the fans being written in here. This clean steal right here. Look at that. You see Carmelo only post up because, you know, they Jordan Nolan. And there you go. That steal. <laughs> That's a good play. MJ rises again. <laughs> And then, you know, just that, you know, we're that anticipation where there he goes, he has the ball. And it's still going back to the, the steal. But yeah, it was, I would say if you were a ref, then you were going to call a foul on that, right? That was just, to me, that was just a clean steal. Oh, it was a clean steal. What was he looking at? 17 seconds, look at Scotty right there. Because he can, I could tell in his eyes, he's like, oh yeah, Michael has the ball, he's going he's gonna to do something. And if you look at that, they're all like, look at Phil, and you tell Phil right there, they're all like, yeah, you know, Michael's by in his head's like, I gotta win this. 
And what do you think of this, you know, this shot? Because I know it's been debated. I know Brian Russell debates saying that Jordan, he claims that Jordan pushed him off. What do you think? You think, uh, you think that was a push-off or Jordan just basically broke his, broke Brian Russell's, like, ankles? Talk about it, too. He, he was already going for momentum. So, mm-hmm. like, the crossover was there. He barely even pushed him. He didn't really push him. He just kind of, like... And boom, hits that shot, man. Just that uh, shot to put the Bulls with him one. One point. Because you know, eventually when Jordan ran up going come back to the NBA and playing with the Wizards, he ends up having Brian Russell on this team that I think it was like his last year in the NBA. In second year with the Wizards. I wonder if they ever were able to bury the hatchet in that. But it's like it it's just like And even now Argus is the push off, but it's like But that shot that Michael took and then of course, you know, Bacos is saying that that could be the last shot. Of the NBA from Michael because of course the whole debate is that Michael was going to come back, but to me that's like to me that shot to me is like this last time in the Bulls uniform. But at that time we didn't know. At that time when he hit that shot, we were all jumping up for joy. We we're trying to keep the noise to a minimum, but it's like how you not cheer, jump up and down, seeing Jordan score that shot, and of course you know with a few seconds left, and of course the Jazz had to like they called timeout, they tried to throw it in, and of course Rodman, I mean Stockton missed the. The three pointer and basically bounce off the rim and the Bulls end up winning. You know we're all celebrating. I like for a fact that the, the documentary shows the footage of them. Not even have time to, to change or anything. They immediately all got on the bus and basically went to the hotel. And you see all the fans they're waiting outside the team hotel, and they end up going to Jordan's like room and he's there playing the piano and they're still wearing they're wearing their championship shirts and they're wearing their. Their hats and they're still in their uniforms and they got the cigars and stuff and they're they're like it, it was cool seeing something like that, seeing more of that celebration. And of course, um, it all culminates when they go to Grand Park, and you know, you know, Jordan said you know that the one thing that his heart and soul will always be for the city of Chicago. That like he said, no matter where, that like basically was a message saying, no matter where I do, no matter where I go, that my heart soul is always for the city of Chicago. Yeah. I like how they at least showed some of that. Um, just just to see the city come out for it. Um, and how they meant, they just teased towards the end. It's, it's like, I like how they asked them about, you know, running it back and giving them a chance. And they're always, they were always careful with their words. I mean, this is the one thing that, you know, people are talking about now. The, this came to light that, you know, 
at first, you know, yeah, in 99, 98, 99, the, the NBA went to a lockout. But going to that, you know, Jordan ended up, you know, he ended up, you know, in Jan- he had to wait till January to announce his retirement because, you know, NBA, they couldn't, Jordan couldn't go to the team facilities, they couldn't do anything. And it wasn't until 99 when MJ finally announced he's going back in retirement again. And of course, you know, Jerry Krause introducing Tim Floyd. And of course, Scotty ends up, you know, ends up doing a sign. They end up doing a sign and trade with the Houston Rockets, where he signed like a five year deal. Um, you know, Ramen was released. Kerr was really Kerr ended up going to uh, San Antonio a lot. Ron Harper ended up going to L.A. And mostly, though, I think the only remaining pieces of that team was like Bill Williams and Tony Kukoc, which ends up being there. But I think it was more of a money. And then Jerry Ryan started coming out, out of the light saying, you know, it was because of the salary cap, and he felt that. At that time, he felt these players could get a lot more money in the market based on what we were, they were paying them, and Scotty could have got a better deal. But I think, you know, when Jerry said, oh, I reached out like July. So he reached out to Phil to come back again. So he went over Jerry Cross's head. Yep. But I think Phil at that time, you know, he took to heart what Jerry Cross said publicly that, you know, in that first meeting with him and Phil saying, I'm not, you're not going to come back as the as the coach. But I think if Jerry would have went out to Michael and told Michael, like if they saw that when they, the documentary crew showed that you know that interview to Mike to uh, Michael, he was like laughing. Even he was like, "Yeah, I could have come back for a seventh. And I think Phil was like, "You know, I want to take a break," which he did. He took a, like a one year break. Uh, he took a break a little bit, and because he was still fuming with Jerry, and of course he didn't want to, and like he's not going to have all those pieces because you know with the contracts and stuff. Because he was being realistic too. How do you think Jerry was going to try to bring those players back? Because he didn't want, and of course, Coach he, Phil. He never planned on it. Remember, he said uh, he didn't want to play. He didn't want to coach a rebuild team. Yeah, he already knew it. Like they, they already had a plan, and they have to ask Ryan Thorpe, and Ryan Thorpe still is just like, oh no, it's cool. I'm just going to let him do. Like man, they just come off as like some bitch. That's a problem. And then like, Jordan was like, yeah, I think if even Michael said, yeah. No, and then with like Phil, like Phil had that thing where, yeah, okay, Jerry Meister wants me back, but it's like, you think I want to come back? And knowing for the fact that you know Jerry Cross would be like, oh shit, he's back. You know, it's like after you know publicly saying that Phil Jackson was not going to come back as the coach, regardless of the outcome of the season. But I think if Jerry I, and then Michael was like, even Michael was like, he was game to go for a seventh. He was open to come back to do a seventh. But if I think he even said that if Jerry would have come to him, I bet you Michael would have convinced Scotty to, you know, take one more one year deal and they could find some way to get everybody else back. Even Dennis said that he was he wanted to come back as well. But at the same time, like I think if Michael he would probably would have been able to convince Phil to do one more time, and they, if they would have done a seventh, especially in that lockout shortened season where they didn't have to play that many games. So it, it opens up a big, you know, what if. I don't think what if. Think of what if. If, like, Jerry was able to push his ego aside. But at the time, Phil was like, he was right at that point, you know. And they talk about, you know, the final meeting he had with the guys where the ritual where they write the their messages and stuff and put it in a can and lit it up when they're done. Mm-hmm. 
But I think Phil, the time that he was content, that you know he wanted to take a break, but I'm like, I don't think he wanted to go through that again. You know, having to butt heads with Jerry Cross again, and he was still, you know, hurting of what Jerry Cross told him. He wanted to come back, but it's funny how he was the best. He was the best general manager in the league. This crowd, like it was, it, it was hard to not understand that. Like at the same time, he was good at it, what he did and what he brought to the organization. So like, if he felt that like organizations won, won championships, not players, that they come off rude because it's kind of it makes it like puts the players in a different type of role. But he was always like, he's not wrong. The organization do win championships. An organization is like a company of people that all work together to start working towards one goal, and that's what success. So that NBA success equals championships, which equals money, which equals endless fame, which equals like, right? So like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you listen to Kraus with that? Mm-hmm. And I. Sorry, I just had a moment of, of relapse, but like, uh, I think. It's that he even we got to see Jordan on that lot on their Grant Park kind of they all got to say their piece and then like they had to thank crowds there no matter how much they hated to, to admit it they had to thank them because they were able to do it again right mm-hmm. and, and they built this organization around players who were good at the roles it wasn't like they none of these players were elite on their own right I'm not saying they could have they were just on a good solid organization like you can't tell me in the 90s that everybody did not want to be a fool mm-hmm. and I'm sure Krause knew that and I'm sure Ryan knows that so they were very selective of the people they brought in but they brought in some good role players like that today I don't even think what the, the way NBA teams are built up I wouldn't even think that would be the case like Luke Longley was there for years and then he goes to be the starter and he ends up having a decent career with the Bulls so like it, we we saw a lot of the players come off the bench and really fill in the role. So like I think the Bulls did a good job too in the '90s, and we got to see that of really building up their team. Like they weren't doing this one year done done like signing guards and dumping them out. Like they would do it with Jordan Pippen because you know they had the leverage, but they had leverage. And, and I think that's what they also do when they compare the games. The game of today is the past is that. Players have a little more leverage when they're arguing, when they're doing their contracts, and obviously you can doing their bidding when it comes to their efforts they're showing for the team. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand why they, they don't. Some people don't see that in a similar lens in the '90s because it's not like players didn't have leverage either. Michael Jordan was a was a brand in his own right. Of course, he was able. He was going to be able to have some wiggle room in negotiations. Yeah, because he did those one year de- like when he came back. Um, from you no know, baseball, he did those one-year deals, but he took like the minimum. Like he didn't ask for a lot because he knew for the fact that he had to keep the, the other pieces in. So he pretty much looked out for everybody else. But yeah. I would say, yeah, like I said, one for like the egos in the office, you know, with Jerry Krause having that ego, you know, butting heads with Phil Jackson, of course, with Scotty. It's like, you know, it. I would say, yeah, it kind of opens up the what if, you know, if they were able, like, if you know, Jerry Rice, you know, reached out. 
to Michael and told him, hey, I had a meeting with Phil. And Phil, you know, doesn't, you know, he wants to take a break. But if Jerry would have told my Michael, hey, is there a way you can talk to Phil and um, talk to Scotty and see if they're willing to come back? Then it kind of would have gave him the motivation to try to, you know, bring back her, bring back, you know, Dennis to do it one more time. They could have done, like, one more run. But, you know, it kind of, you know, like I said, it leaves us all thinking now, like, 20-something years afterwards, you know. Yeah, they're looking with the whole, with the same kind of, what is that thing? Uh, the uh, rose-tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. Like they want to see it. They want to compare that to the, to the game of today or just, like, how anybody does it when they compare generations. Like, no, it's just, like, problems persist, and they're different every day, and you, and you assess it the way you can. And as we look back, obviously, we can different things to assess it, but that's not how time works. Like, for the NBA, you can't compare, there's no way, like, it's, you know how they always compare the Jordan and LeBron thing? It's like, thank no, you. No, I, I can't really compare Jordan and LeBron, I'm you sorry. You can't, like, you're playing in two different leagues. Because they try, you know, they try in the past to do super teams, and, I mean, the Lakers had the three-peat. They had but them. They had them. They had them, they just, you know. I think we're trying to do that, too. Like, there was, remember when, was yeah, it's like going back to, like, when LeBron went to Miami. When he had my it had him, Wade, and Bosch, they were supposed to be the big three because when Boston did it with Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett, they won one championship. But, you know, Detroit winning one as well. But it's like, you know, they try, you know, Miami, they thought, you know, they could win like six or something championships. But no, they ended up winning what, two only? And then Golden State. But Golden State, I, I mean, yeah, I would say like if. I won't say they were a super team because most of the players on there were like homegrown players. But yeah, there were also players that came from other teams, but that weren't like doing as well. But they weren't like the. And then they tried with Kevin Durant, and of course, you know how that worked as well. And they were to do it. But, you know, you know, Steve Kerr coming in and taking that team in the coaching role and ended up winning three with the Golden State Warriors. But, you know, you can't. Honestly, to me, it's like the Bulls are the super team. I mean, you could put it up there with the Boston Celtics, um, the the LA Lakers of the '80s, the Boston Celtics of the '60s and '70s, and you know the Bulls of the night, and the Bulls are the team of the '90s. Yeah, you had the San Antonio Spurs, but the Spurs were like the early. I mean, yeah, they won in '99, but they were more like the 2000s. And you had the Showtime Lakers of the 2000, of the 2000, 2001, 2002, and then of course, um, it was you know Phil decided to come back and coach again, um, but it's like. This documentary overall was a good, you know, for me, it from my point of view, is a good nostalgia, good looking back at that time when, you know, basketball was inside in Chicago. And also, too, you know, seeing some stuff that, you know, and hearing their, you know, perspectives and reflections of what happened at that time in a new light. You know, I think Michael with this documentary was afraid to see how people were going to perceive him. Because they were, you know, visioning he was this basketball god, you know, just using the term generally. Um, but to see a more humanistic side of Michael, you know, he was just a, like everybody else. He just had that determination, that drive to always be on top. And, you know, also too, people, yeah, he was a bully in practice, but he was doing it as a reason of a motivational factor of having, you know, pushing his teammates to be at that, up that same level as him. To have that same, you know, positive, you know, that mentality, that determination to come out on top, that winning mentality. Um, and to me, it's like, 
it was good to seeing that, like seeing that humanistic side of Michael. Well, yeah, I would hope so because if he comes off very sociopathic on this on this documentary, and but I think it's like because there's two different types of sociopaths. So like, mm-hmm. but since our media is always going towards the psycho, like the psychology, like the psycho type of sociopath, that we only see like that that type of human. And Jordan was just sociopathic in the sense that like. Emotions weren't a thing when it came to him. It was just like you either do it, you get it done. Um, that drive, I don't know what it is that he has inside of him, but like, even talking about the murder and stuff, like we don't see that actually play out until we see him unload when they win the championship, his tears, and, and more so when they talk about Jordan, even in the documentary, but it doesn't sound like. I would say it's someone who's already probably reflected on losing his father after so many years, but it's like that's just one of those things that I don't think he could ever get over like a death of a parent or a grandparent or something so it was yeah like you mentioned it was nice to see that he he's not this he is not this un, untangible god he's, he's still a human who went through some hardships even being on such a he went through hardships on lot spotlight on him we see him now and they they want to, and the article I pulled up, they, they did mention, like, does he even seem like he comes off as a happy person after all these years? And I don't know if he's happy, but if the idea of happy is not, is now being able to be private again, uh, able to reflect on those days, but still get to do the things he loves every day, I don't, I don't see that as a, why do they have to be emotionally displaying it? Mm-hmm. Like, some people have, aren't able to emotionally express themselves in that way, and that was kind of, when they're happy, I'm one of them. I can't do it. Okay, I can try and flip off the switch and jump, do jumping jacks and joy and shit like that, but it's, uh, it's difficult. I'll just, it's maybe sometimes it's easier to say it, that you're happy where you are. I mean, look at his home in Florida, dude. I'm sure he's doing okay. I like seeing Jordan, you know, smoking the stogie and sipping on some Hennessy. Uh, just seeing, and then like, you know, just living his life, chill out, right? Mm-hmm. I believe because I know Jeffrey's the oldest.
we love Dortmund. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you, you, your family does have flaws just like everyone else, you, but you love them because you can't help but not to. Hello. So I was. Like so now that we've seen the documentary, um, it's like the, it kind of paints the question. I mean, if you know, not like you still will you still consider Michael Jordan like the greatest basketball player of all time? Um. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and in the game of NBA, like we're seeing it now with sports being kind of taken to the backside because of the virus. And like, mm-hmm. we've seen amazing players come throughout the years. And I still, I understand people are just like, yes, he's the best. They play that we're getting quick, you know, getting some sound bites from people who play one or he couldn't have been say he couldn't. But like, yes, he, he is the best to ever do it. But I don't think he is the best of all time because I can't, like, yeah. I, I mean, I for me personally, there's so yeah. There's so many more amazing players. Like for me, I'm, I'm like, yeah, but he's on my list, number one. Oh sure. yeah, he's on my he's list, number one. one. But I'm, I'm for me, I have him up there with like I have him up there with Magic Johnson, Dr. J, um, Larry Bird. You know, I have him up there in that list. Um, I even have Kobe up there as well because you think like, about. I would say Kobe as well. He's up on that list as well because I mean, think about you know Michael end up becoming like the big brother of Kobe Bryant, which I wish documentary would show more of that. But I think based on timing and everything, it's kind of you know you yeah, know I think it's too soon. It's too soon, but I have him up there. I mean LeBron. I mean, I would give LeBron a few more because to me, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not discrediting LeBron and not being a great player. To me, it's just his personality. It's the one thing that kind of puts me off. Because it's like, okay, okay I start with Cleveland. I come from a high school. I start with Cleveland. All of a sudden, you know, I get frustrated. I say, oh, I'm leaving. Yeah, but. But yeah, I understand from a professional standpoint. And then he decides, okay, I'm going to go back to Cleveland. Then all of a sudden, he's like. He was able to win one for Cleveland. You know, I'm not describing that. But same thing. Goes to the frustration again. And ends up going to LA. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he's had quite a weird trajectory. Yeah. Um, gonna look, it's, gonna look, it's like what Shaq did, right? So at the end of his career, he was just going anywhere to collect a check. He probably just picked places that he wanted to check out because he's never lived there before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, he probably has houses there now. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what kind of makes it hard with yeah. that Jordan LeBron debate. Mm-hmm. Not a list of best players to it, but it's a long list. Like Oscar Robinson would be. Uh, oh yeah. Freaking Will Chamberlain. Jerry West. Cool. What? Jerry West as well. Jerry West. Yeah, 
Jerry West. Yeah. yeah. Like, they come up amazing players. So it's, it's, it's hard to discount that, like, a lot of the modern players today, too. I mean, if there was a list of modern NBA players, like the best modern NBA players, yeah, LeBron will be like, like if I had a list of the modern, of the players today, yeah, I will have LeBron on top of the list, but I, it just makes it hard for me to compare LeBron to Michael Jordan. It's kind of hard. It's, you can't compare nobody else to Michael Jordan. Yeah, it's true. Very true. That's what kind of makes it hard for me. <laughs> course um they got like espn's got a lot of documentaries planned to be showing like i think this coming weekend they're gonna have the two-parter um lance armstrong documentary um then there's one about bruce lee um then also and then the home run race between sammy sosa and mark mcguire that'll be an interesting one as well the roid race race. So that's going to yeah, be interesting. Right. It's going to be interesting as well. I mean, there's a lot of things planned because I know we're going through this tough time right now. And, and of course, um, I mean, some right now some states are starting to reopen. But it's like it's, it's, it's going to take some time because I know Major League Baseball is targeting a possibly June or July opening again, but with less games. Um, NBA, we don't know what's going on with that. NHL, same thing. I think right now in the world of soccer, right now, the Bundesliga just had their first game but without fans, but they had their first game um, this past Sunday. So it's, it's going to take a while for everything to slowly get back. I mean, even like now in the entertainment world, you know, a lot of like TV show productions are being like a lot of the new TV, like the CW now all their, their TV seasons of their new show, of their shows, like for the new seasons are not going to be coming back until January or next year. So it's like, so still got to wait and see what's going on with the, with the current shows. But it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going on right now. It's like, yeah, states are slowly opening, but it's still, it's going to be a long process before movie, rest of the movie theaters start opening up with social distancing guidelines or like comic book production as well. And, you know, TV shows going back to the drawing. I mean, a lot of teachers are in their season finales. So it's like, because right now this most usually the like amount of time for season finales, but it's like, it's one of those wait and see type of deals, you know, even video games as well, because, you know, Sony and, you know, PlayStation, they're still having their PlayStation 5 is still going to try to make its own deadline. The holidays are still like Sony's still adamant of trying to get it, but they haven't announced any new games yet. But I think they did show like a tech demo of a, of a game, possibly the graphics wise as a graphing graphics test. But that's still, we don't know. It's... It's one of those things where, yeah, it just depends how people's mentalities are going to go once everything slowly gets back to the norm. But as of right now, right now we got to just take it one step at a time. But like I said, I applaud ESPN and Michael Jordan for actually, 
allowing this documentary to release early. Just to give us something new. So, overall, I enjoyed it. You know, definitely, people, definitely, definitely check it out. If you're into sports, you, you know, show your kids what you, like, basically, you grew up on. Because it's, like, a good, you know, to show kids what, you know, because if you talk about Michael Jordan, at least gives your kids an idea who Michael Jordan was. Mm-hmm. Because at least we got to experience him when he played. All right, so that pretty much um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, made me feel like a kid again watching the show series, but it was great. It, it reignited my love for basketball. I've already, I've always had it, but it makes. Me, and then this quarantine only made it made me want to go and play basketball even more because, like, I hate it, the parts are closed, but I'm excited to go back into that. Because um, basketball just touches a part of my brain that is so good. I Okay, so um, that's it for you, for this episode, guys. Thank you for like listening through our coverage of the Last Dance. Next week we'll go back to the normal pop culture stuff. I know it's like mostly sports for the past couple weeks, but I'm like honestly, this was like the always news thing that we could talk about right now. So if you guys want to listen to the back episodes of this podcast, you can check us out on Anchor. You can check us out on Spotify. Check us out on Google Podcasts. If you go and check us on Apple, make sure you give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That way gets us more out there as well. Make sure to check out our Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com. Search for Talking Pop. And you can post like any reactions or any suggestions for any upcoming episodes. Um, make sure if you go to Anchor, go to anchor.fm slash Talking Pop slash support. And, to, and you can even donate to the podcast. You can support. Even as little as a dollar. You can even do a dollar. And, you know, it comes, keeps us going forward as well. We do love to thank Anchor for sponsoring the podcast as well. And like I said, you can follow me on Twitter at TheFranchise85. I know Beagle still doesn't share his social media information yet. So um, I do want to say before we, re- we go that we are playing, you know, some big plans for the podcast moving forward. Um as soon as um, we get things working, we'll share with you guys. Right now, it's still in its dormant infant stage. Um, we'll probably, um, I'm thinking of doing more movie commentaries. I know you guys responded well to the Super Mario Brothers commentary. Um, we'll probably you know, decide to pick a different film and do a commentary track on that as well. We're still debating about it right now. <laughs> we, have to, like, we have to wait until Biko gets back from where he is so we can discuss about that. So, Biko, any final words before we um, break for today? Alright guys, um that's it. As always, 
Geek on. Take care. Wash your hands.